Welcome to a sporting discussion, your podcast talking sports of all sorts. I'm AJ Mithin, joined down the line from his hub by Andrew Donison. Andrew, how's hub life? Hub life is wonderful, AJ. Um, you know, no, no one's tried to bring their dog in or go to any theme parks, so there's been no no concerns here, no uh, no sanctions being placed on anyone. <laughs> uh, now, special episode this week, um, we are speaking to football writer for the Sydney Morning Herald and the Age, uh, Michael Lynch, who has been in the game for decades. Uh, we talked last week, Andrew, about how we need to get experts in to tell us about what's happening in sports like football with the A-League and uh things like that, uh, and so we figured why not get someone in who knows knows the game inside and out. Yeah, and we were really appreciative of Michael giving up his time to have a chat to us. It was, oh, we could have probably talked for an hour or more about the game in Australia, but uh, it was, yeah, I, I thought quite, a, quite an interesting chat. Yeah, it was good fun. Here it is, sit back, listen, and learn quite a bit about Australian football. Michael Lynch, welcome to a sporting discussion. Yes, uh, good to be with you, you uh, chaps, and let's hope there's plenty of topics to talk about that are going to pique the interest of your listeners. Well, well and truly can guarantee that. Andrew, do you want to kick us off on the other phone? I will. So, Michael, AJ and I last week were talking about the, the A-League and the return of the A-League, and the we saw the, the ratings figures come out, and uh, without really knowing the the KO and other streaming figures. It is hard to know, but there were some sort of rumblings that it was a disappointing return. And that got us thinking about the A-League and soccer more broadly in Australia. And what what we really want to sort of eventually get down to is why does the A-League have such troubles with the ratings and, and the, the attendance? And I guess... That might be a good place to to start. Like we've we've seen big crowds at various games. We saw forty thousand in the NSL days in grand finals, but we do see dwindling crowds. What what do you see as the one of the main reasons for for that dwindling in both TV or um, audience and at the ground or to attendance? Look, I think there's there's no doubt that the um Optimal position of the A-League, I would say, was about 2015. That has come off. But there's a lot of cans and a lot of wounds there in, in what you're saying. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, I think you're referring to those figures from like uh, two weekends ago where on the, the pay TV provider Foxtel, they were low, much lower than Super Rugby and Formula One qualifying. Is that the, is yeah. that the story? Yeah, but, but one I think they omitted to most of those stories, hard to point out, is that game was actually on free-to-air TV live as well. Yeah, there was 53,000 for the Perth and Central Coast game on, on free-to-air. Sorry, that? Sorry? There, there was 53,000 watching yeah. on the free-to-air. Yeah, and, and once you add that to the Foxtel numbers, it, it doesn't look quite as appalling as it was suggested, does it? Oh, absolutely not. And uh, then once you add the streaming figures from KO plus um, my football app and that, and I've got no idea what they are, 
it's not as dreadful as it looked. Now, that doesn't mean everything in the garden is rosy because um, the numbers could always be better. But um, I think where football is concerned with Fox particularly, using their ratings um, to determine the health or otherwise of the league is, is just fraught with, well, I wouldn't just say danger. I'd say it's actually fraught with stupidity if that's the only measure that you're going to use to determine whether the A-League is a success or not. Fox and the A-League and the FFA have essentially been at war for the last 12 months, it's pretty well known that Fox, uh, Fox is in an awful lot of financial trouble, isn't it? Not just the, yeah, across, across the board, it's had to be bailed out constantly by loans from its parent company, News Corporation, and it's looking to cut its um, costs across every platform and every sport that it deals with. So its position with football has not been very, very good even prior to the pandemic, prior to the lockdown, and, and it used the period during the lockdown to renegotiate its deal down. Uh, so um, I, I don't know if uh, if the relationship between Fox and the FFA is a very good way, or the A-League is a very good way to, to start off by judging the popularity or otherwise of the league. Uh, you mentioned crowds. Crowds have been better uh, at various clubs at various times, but um, and and certainly um, they have come off from where they once were. I think part of the problem there has been the kind of almost war that the authorities declared on what we would call active supporters. Now, you know, I don't know if you blokes were football fans initially, were you? Oh, still yes. are. Hmm. Okay, so. You will remember back in the day when, you know, I remember covering games at the then Telstra Dome, 2, 5 and 6, when 50,000 were turning up to watch Victory play Sydney in a league game, you know. And partly that was because the atmosphere was so fantastic. The Tifosi were there with their banners, uh, the drums, the musical instruments, um, all sorts of active support chants and that kind of thing. And systematically, I think, and, and wrongly, for about a decade, the FFA, in pursuit of this kind of mythical general sports fan, um, who they thought could be lured to watch the game, stamped out and, and made life very difficult for active supporters. What did that do? It destroyed the unique atmosphere in Australia of a football game. I mean, I've covered many, many Aussie rules games as well, and and some NRL and State of Origins and things like that. And the atmosphere, State of Origin may be a bit different, although the one I covered was in Melbourne, so there weren't too many uh, rusted on Queenslanders and New South Wales folks down there. But but in general, I think AFL games, there's not much atmosphere, certainly not compared to football matches and, and, and certainly not compared to the kind of atmosphere that was generated early in the piece. So I think... Um, trying to kind of eliminate active support or tone it down, firstly destroyed the kind of unique atmosphere that made going to a game for people who were not regulars so compelling and so different. And secondly, alienated 
the kind of traditional supporter base and those who were kind of rusted on and would go whatever uh, the weather or whatever was happening. And, um, and, and, and I think the FFA gambled and got that bet wrong and lost fans as a result of that. Now that's been kind of acknowledged under the new leadership of James Johnson, who, you know, almost well, uniquely really in the 15 to 20 year, 15 year history of the FFA is a CEO who's actually got a football background, you know? Um, I think that was a problem. There, there was a sort of chase for a kind of mythical everyman who was a, if you like, a theatre girl who could just be um, lured along to a game because this is on and it's fun. But, you know, th- th- those people, they're rusted on rugby league or Aussie rules, most of them. And and I think that that's part of the problem, that they sort of destroyed the atmosphere and destroyed or, or, or hurt it for some core, um, core supporters. Um, you know, I, I don't buy into the idea personally that you need superstars to get people to come along and watch um now as you can tell by my accent i'm i'm from london uh well you can tell i'm english i am from london um and i grew up in a football culture so maybe my view is a bit different i'm also considerably older than the young demographic that they would be chasing after but um i i think about building any league, building any clubs, building any game, any sport, it's actually about building allegiances to the club, the brand, the shirt, the history, the culture and the tradition. Players come and players go. So I, I don't actually think you need it's it's a failure to recruit marquee players over the last three or four years that have been a root cause of it. I think there's been very poor marketing or non-existent marketing by the FFA and the A-League. I think Fox have probably been a bit dilatory in the way they've um, promoted it and uh, addressed the game as they've looked to, if not disengage, certainly, um, you know, knock down the, their fiscal contribution. So I think, uh, I think that's sort of some of the core reasons why perhaps attendances have fallen off. Um, you know, um, for me, as I said, I, I might be unusual, but I don't have to watch superstars playing. I mean, I, you know, I'm the sort of bloke who finds most, most of the Champions League quite boring because you, you know, at the, in, in October, you know who the last eight are going to be pretty much. Do you know what I mean? I, I'd rather yeah. actually watch a game in which there was a poor quality, a poorer quality game in which there was competitive tension and balance rather than watch Paris Saint-Germain, Real Madrid or Barcelona beat up on some Eastern European club who were operating on a hundredth of their budget. That, that to me, isn't really much fun. <laughs> and, and, and therefore, that kind of informs my view on, on the whole of the sport, I suppose. Yeah, and so talking about the trying to attract this mythical uh, supporter, and you, you mentioned the, the AFL and the NRL. There's obviously the the competing football codes in Australia. There's also other competing sporting codes, and we're going to see something in the the next uh, twelve months or even sooner that will really put that to the test. So the new Fox Sports deal um, sees next uh, season come in to uh, a winter season rather than a summer season. Like right, the, it's sort of a mixture of the two. It's going to be between yeah. December to July. So you're still going to get, you know, those balmy summer evenings. 
um, but uh, but it'll it'll finish in July, and then and that'll be a bit of a trial run uh, as to whether or not they go full on winter, which would probably be late February through to uh, November the following year. Um, yeah, well, it'll be interesting to see what attendances and, and ratings are. Yeah. And, and also the the impact with that, with the actual uh, aligning it with local football, so the yeah, yeah, aligning it with the uh, with the NPL and and, uh, and community sport. You mean? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's great because that will be, one would hope, a major impediment to the establishment of a second division and promotion and relegation. That would be the removal of one of the major impediments to that because, um, you know, in my view, that is something that is also essential. It would be a unique selling point for this sport in Australia where all the other key sports are essentially self-contained as franchises with no promotion, no relegation. So, and again, it would bring into line with the kind of global philosophy of the way the sport operates everywhere else. Um, Michael, you talked about the grassroots and people needing to connect with their clubs um, in the A-League competition, Do you, which brings me back to the expansion that happened a couple of years ago where we get um, Western United and MacArthur, who's coming in next year in Western Sydney. Um do you think they were? I think. Well, speaking personally, I think they were brought in as part of the to uh, mollify the Fox uh, Fox Sports because for a, another Sydney and Melbourne uh, market. But do you think that that went the wrong way? They should have gone to a different place or a different a new location, or is it just all metrics and cash? Well, I think it was surprising. Most of us were very surprised when Western United got the uh, nod uh, at the expansion because um, Team 11, based down in the Danyanong, um corridor down there, southeast Melbourne, which is a fast-growing urban demographic um, and, and full of a lot of immigrant communities for whom football is the number one sport, most of us expected Team 11 to get the nod. They didn't. Uh, Western United offered more money uh, in terms of the bidding for the franchise and the promise of building their own stadium, which would, you know, on paper, if that was to work, it would be a deal breaker and, it, well, it would be a, a a new paradigm, actually, for <laughs> not just Australian soccer, but pretty much the game, pretty much all sport here. Absolutely. A club actually building and owning its own stadium. So from a point of view of a compelling argument, more money plus that was probably sufficient to persuade the FFI that they were a gamble worth taking, even though on the surface and subsequently it's proven that there doesn't appear yet to be a ready-made supporter base for them in the way that I think most people uh, thought there was with Team 11 in Dandenong. Just just going back to the metrics of the um, attendances that you talked about, I mean, the the problem in this country is that people tend to compare football, soccer, to AFL, you know, and say, oh, look, Collingwood gets 70,000, why can't Melbourne Victory? Well, you know, if, if Melbourne Victory was probably only one of 14 football clubs in the world, you'd probably get 100,000, you know what I mean? It's, it's just a ludicrous thing. No one ever, do, do, do people in New South Wales turn around and go, rugby league crap because they only get 7,000 at a game or the Olympic Stadium at Homebush and there's 4,000 there or something, you know? No, I don't hear that so much. 
And like the interesting thing with the A-League, of course we don't want to see bigger crowds and, and get the atmospherics brought back. But if you actually look at global crowds for soccer all around the world, you know, the A-League actually doesn't rate that badly at all. You yeah, know, you're on, the market's skewed, highly skewed in Australia, isn't it, with the AFL yeah. dominating everything? Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's, and it's ridiculous to try and make these comparisons against a competition that's over 100 years old, of which there's only, only um, well, until very recently, there were only about sort of, you know, 14 clubs in the highest echelon of the game. So, um, you know, and, and, and I don't think it's, it's, it's a fair comparison. Um, and you can't compare attendances. And then the other thing people do is compare attendances to the English Premier League. Well, that's crazy. Go and look at League One, you know, go and look at Grimsby Town's attendances. No one would dare dream of comparing that to Manchester United's. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, we've, um, we've said that quite yeah. a bit on the show, that the comparisons between the codes are just ludicrous, particularly well, for the A-League. I think it was Dr. Johnson, the famous lexicographer, wrote the first dictionary and um, poetry and several other things in the 18th century. He said comparisons are odious. He <laughs> 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 may well have been right, certainly on this occasion. So I think that one of the great things that Rugby League has done uh, is – Stick with some games at the old suburban grounds. So, you know, your, your 7,000, 12,000 capacity grounds and like it's a real sort of community feel. And, and I, I would love it if there was a, an opportunity for, uh, for football in Australia to be able to, to embrace that. But I, yeah. I think, I think it's probably gone a little bit too far towards the, the larger. Stadium. No, I, I, I disagree. In fact, I think we will see more of it. I think a lot of it was skewed by Fox wanting, you know, um, you know, first world and brilliant broadcasting facilities and lux of certain whatever megawattage from the lights and stuff for the TV broadcasts. But if, if the Fox deal ends at the end of 2021 season and the FFA, as many people or the league, A-League, because it is supposed to be running itself by this point, um, if, if it moves to an OTT streaming service, we've seen from various other competitions that you don't need all the bells and whistles for a kind of, you know, million percent broadcast. Punters are quite happy to look at a, a, a broadcast that is less than perfect as long as it's of a compelling content. Um, and I think uh, the experiments that Brisbane Rural have done by playing a few games out of um, Suncorp, I've forgotten the name of that stadium in, in Queensland that they've used near Brisbane, um, that's shown, um, you know, they came back from 2-0 down against Melbourne City, uh, and what was it, 2-0 down and 1-3-2 or 3-0 down and 1-4-3? Can't remember, but they came back anyway from a big deficit, and, and partly it was because of the rules of the crowd and the encouragement from a parochial crowd in a small environment that created an atmosphere. I think we're seeing a bit now, you know, we're, we're getting games at... Uh, net starts or jubilee in in uh, in Kogara, aren't we during this um, this uh, re- resumption of the the A League? We're seeing games being played at more right sized stadiums, um, and you know, 
I think that is going to have to happen, uh, particularly if we end up with a second division and we end up with the cost base being shorn. You know, there's a lot of talk of um, salary cap being, you know, cut by maybe up to 50%, you know, for next season as, as money tightens in the game. And clubs won't be able to afford the rent on these stadia. I mean, that that is another untold story in Australian sport, the absolute warts that go on with government-owned stadia charging up wounded bulls for clubs to use them. I mean, that's that's part of the problem of solvency for all these A-League clubs, that the rental on, on these big stadia is so high that it, it's, it's very hard for them to make any money in the first place. Yeah, I, I was just um, I was just thinking back to I was in the UK about this time last year and I went to a first-round FA Cup match. It was Atherton Collieries against United of Manchester and it was this, like, quaint little ground and it was absolutely chockers and the atmosphere was just incredible. And and I think that's that's the thing. I think it's Dolphin Oval is the one in Redcliffe that the Brisbane Roar yeah, have yeah, played Dolphin, at. Yeah, Dolphin Stadium, yeah, that's the one. Yeah, so 11,000 people. I, I, that, that's that's really what yeah, I... But, you, but, you know, Bournemouth's Vitality Stadium in the Premier League had a capacity of about 11,500. Brentford who are in the playoffs to go up to the Premier League. I've been to Griffin Park many, many times. You know, one of my brothers and his family actually season ticket holders at Brentford. And, um, and you know, that's only got a capacity of about 11,000 and, and old tin roofs. Now, they're moving out of that stadium and building a new one, but their new one's only going to have a twenty to 22,000 capacity. It doesn't have to be Suncorp-sized or Sydney, uh, you know, or Olympic Park-sized or even um, Etihad Stadium-sized. Uh, you know, uh, in fact, football is better. You know, Amy Park, I think, is probably about as big as the A-League really needs, unless, unless it's a grand final. But even then, the grand final, I remember creating a fantastic atmosphere, better than anything, was in 2015 when it was actually played at Amy Park because the AFL wouldn't allow the uh, FFA to use Etihad Stadium uh, on that particular weekend because it said it had a game involving bottom of the table, Fremantle and the Western Bulldogs. And that was far too important to be moved or postponed or, or moved a day forward. Um, and, and they ended up playing the grand final, Sydney versus victory at, uh, at Amy Park. Victory won it 3-0 and it was just a brilliant atmosphere. So that shows you it's, it's about the right size stadium so much of the time. And I wonder if the ownership of the, the A-League will have any bearing on that. So I, I've, I've read a lot of things over the past couple of years about you know, the sort of FFA owning and then want the A-League owners wanting to, uh, to you know, pour in $10 million a year to, to get the promotion. And to, so whoever might own the, the league, can you, can you sort of set me straight on where that sits? At well, the at, the, at, the, at the moment, it's being run as a joint venture. The, the A-League clubs, in theory, should be controlling and managing the league. Um, there's still no full-on agreement as to the share of revenues and how they'll be doled out um, from sponsors. And, and that's why this season kicked off in a kind of half-pregnant way with, with the FFA. They hold a golden share. 
that the clubs were supposed to be running and managing the league. But the pandemic and the um, obvious collapse in economics and uh, financial support is going to change that equation. So we're still waiting to see how that will turn out. But in theory, the clubs are supposed to be actually running the, the game and the, the A-League itself from now on. You know, the FFA is... Is, is its main responsibilities now are the national teams, um, the overall governance of the sport and uh, grassroots football. Um, Michael, just about the media coverage quickly. Um, it's no secret that football in Australia and the A-League is a pretty pretty big whipping horse for um, press out there who want to make take a swing at some at a sport. Um, with the Fox deal finishing and there's a chance the talk will... You know, hopefully, I'd like to. I've I've always said I want to see leagues go in and do their own broadcasting and host their own stuff, but it's not cheap. Assuming the FFA can do that, how how can they still maintain that presence in the media? Do you think, um, in particular, well, I, I, across I, I, different firstly, platforms? Firstly, I'd just like to pick you up on something you say. What I actually think you really need, if you think about it, is that the coverage on television, free to air television and radio, has been very poor. Uh, yeah, I work for the Age and the City Morning Herald. We've got three soccer writers. Mm, I'm, yeah, I'm saying more in, more in the time. It's a major, major commitment. Until very, very recently, News Corporation had um, specialist football writers in every ta- city, uh, capital city daily newspaper um, in, in the country. That's actually a much greater commitment to covering this sport. Now, to get round that one, well, now that I've got that gripe off my chest, to get round to the substantive issue of what you're saying, uh, and I hope you think about what I've just said, and when you give it some thought, you'll, you'll hopefully you'll agree with me. But to get round to the um, other issue that you've just brought up, um, can they make OTT and streaming work? They have to. Because if the Fox deal collapses, or, or well, it won't collapse, it'll just end at 2021. And if it's not renewed, and if there aren't sufficient um, uh, uh, income coming from a, a replacement broadcaster, either, well, a free-to-air broadcaster, or um, a combination of other media who are prepared to pay for a rights fee, they're going to have to set up their own um, uh, streaming platform and media platform and try and make it work. But it'll only work if they do it properly, and that means they'll have to actually invest in proper journalism and proper, um, you know, broadcast talent trying to get away with doing it on the cheap is just going to look ludicrous and people aren't going to bother watching after the first couple. Yeah, true. Um, I was referring more to the tone from those who aren't the broadcasters, but that doesn't matter. You've, you've, you've set me straight well and truly. Um, <laughs> Andrew, we got anything anything more to go with there or would you like to wrap it up for us? Yeah, no, I'd just like to thank you very much, Michael, for, for giving up your time and joining us here on a sporting discussion. It's great to, to have the, you know, that, that in-depth, uh, discussion <laughs> and, uh, yeah. you know, you've obviously, you, you've been, you've been around the game a lot longer than, uh, than I have, uh, in well, mate, mate, I, I started playing organized football in London at the age of seven, which was, which was 1964. And I was still playing, uh, competitive the indoor level when I was 52 which is um, a decade ago so you could say that I've been watching it, playing it writing about it, thinking about it being involved with it pretty much 
you know, all the way. Yeah, yeah. yeah we, we did say yeah. to each other that you've probably forgotten more about football than a lot of people will remember for their whole lifetime. Well, there's a there's a lot there to to know, and there's a lot to forget. But you never stop learning. Yeah, that's true. Michael Lynch, thanks again for joining us on a sporting discussion. It was great to chat to you. No worries. Cheers, then. Bye.